0: This is Agents Influence Podcast. We've seen mid-sized agencies that has entrenched ownership that's bringing in producers that that are buying from them. But it's getting harder and harder to find that production talent, especially as we see these platforms come up that are hyper-niched out, hyper-focused on select segments of business that we may have picked up before, but now they have better avenues. Independents are going to have to figure out producerless ways to sell business to some extent. And I believe that's going to be account managers.
1: I'm Jason Cass and we're going to help you think differently. Change your agency. Change your finances. Change your family. And in the end, we're going to change an industry. Let's go hey 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 all you loyal listeners welcome to another episode of agents influence conversations with Jason Cass that's me today we have a guy on the on the podcast he's also a podcaster mr. Ryan deeds and before we get to him though I, I always like to just say the name because let's just be honest I mean you, you read the opening you, you know that he's here but my but before we do that I want to just I want to talk about there's some things going on in the industry. Ryan and I may talk about a couple of them that uh, are really hot topics right now. By the time you're listening to this today, this is December 12th when I'm recording this. So obviously, this is probably going to be a month or so from now. We'll know more about it. You'll probably have other podcasts in it. But Accord just released that they um, are now going to start charging the management companies a fee for their licensing, which they always have. But they're also now going to start charging the agent. And now the big eye and the PIA has stepped up and said that they're going to pay those fees. But my question is why? I smell a lot of dirty fish, but I don't really know anything right now. So I can't just sit here and and, and make stuff up. I have my ideas. I have my thoughts. I've reached out to some people in the industry. They're starting to fill me in. But uh, as this goes by, um, I just don't like that kind of stuff. And it's um, we'll talk about that later. But anyways, more to it. Uh, Keep in mind to go to AIBrainShare.com, AIBrainShare.com. Be sure to fill up the waiting list. The waiting list, I think we have like 23 or 24 people who've already signed up. And keep in mind, Brainshare will be invite only and it will have a limited amount of people like it always does every year. So keep that in mind. Go to AI Brainshare, put your name on the list. That's the only way you're for sure going to make sure to be able to get on my list or be able to be qualified for it. Without further ado, let's get down to the conversations of agents influence. Let's give people like Ryan Deeds a voice in this industry outside of his own voice that he's created in his own platform. Welcome to the podcast, Mr. Ryan Deeds. How are you, man?
0: I'm doing awesome, man. I'm on a podcast with Jason Cass, so there's kind of huh. like a uh, I, uh, "Hey, Mom, look, I made it." Feeling, dude. Good.
1: <laughs> that is wow, great song. I love that song. I played so much; it drives my son nuts. But yeah, that's cool, Ryan. Appreciate it. Um, you know, and 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 to the loyal listeners, as you you know that I'm oil, I'm always loyal. Um, and I'm going to always tell you the straight up truth. I don't necessarily know Ryan. Ryan doesn't know much of me, and this is going to be a good conversation because those are always pure. Right, Ryan? I mean, we've never met, right? Face to face that I know.
0: Oh, we've never met. Okay. I agree. I think authenticity is uh is a driver of uh of good content. So I, I'm always excited when non-scripted stuff
1: happens. It is. And you know, Ryan, here's the thing. A lot of my uh, people i reach out to and I'll say, Hey, would you like to be on the podcast for this reason or whatever? And they'll always say, Well, I'd like to do like a 15 or 20 minute call, you know, to to, to kind of figure out what it is. I used to do that. I, I refuse to do it now. Like if they have to do it, which very few have to do it, but some have. I, I The reason is, is we get so excited. We have this great conversation. And then like the next time we try to replicate it on the podcast, it's like everybody already kind of knows, right? Except for the listeners and they're the ones that aren't getting the action. So thank you very much for being one of those to do this, as you said, unscripted.
0: Yeah, that's kind of my, my life, man. I mean, I I, I feel the same way. I, there are certain uh, guests that I have on the podcast that I will make that concession for, just depending on who they are.
1: Mm-hmm. If
0: they're nervous about like gotcha stuff, but I I way prefer to just get into it and yep. let's meet each other and figure out what's driving you and driving the in the industry and how you how you're trying to help it out. Right? That's that's what I that's what I'm
1: about. So Reed French, uh, CEO of Applied, told me one time, he said, Jason, I only ask that my team edit it or listen to it before you post it. And and he says, and I think I have a good reason. And I said, why, Reed? And he said, because we're owned by a publicly traded company. Do you understand that me getting vocal and just saying what I really feel could really, really cost us millions of dollars? And I <laughs> oh, thought to right. himself, that's legitimate, bro. That's legitimate. That's fine. I'll give it to you. And, and the two times I've had him on, he never had one thing removed. So And he did answer some tough questions, especially after a good, they, uh, Google partnered with them. And I started hitting him hard on some of the data questions. But that was then, and this is now. Mr. Ryan Deeds, are you an iPhone or are you a Droid user?
0: I'm an iPhone user, man, but I'm really agnostic. I mean, I have an iPhone today. I'm actually, I, I think, I can't wait till Windows comes out with another phone, man. I'm, I mean, it's really, gonna, it's gonna, oh yeah, bro. I mean, you see what they're doing. I, I love where Microsoft is going. I love the platform stuff. The one area that they have not, that they really misfired on was mobile. Mm-hmm. And you see them shoring that up with Teams and you see them shoring that up with Power BI and the investments that they're putting there. They're not gonna lose like that again. And so, yep. um, I, you know, we're watching the innovation that, that's not occurring in these phones. I mean, we're not seeing, transformative things change with iPhone 10 to iPhone 11 you know it, it's these relatively negligible changes and that's why we're not seeing consumers move to them anymore like like they used to you know it's, I was uh, reading
1: that they're gonna release like four iPhones next year did you see that that's what yep
0: yeah, that's what I saw I mean and and so you got more fragmentation I mean they're trying to get budget or phones right I mean you're dropping 1100 bucks on a phone if you're getting going on the high end and they're trying to get that saturation in the Android market, where Android is so much more cost effective. You can go out and spend, you know, sixty bucks and get a decent uh, an Android phone that works. You can't touch that with an
1: iPhone. You can't. Phone, you know, you're work. right. You're right. And then for them to come out with every year, and you're paying a drop in a $1, thousand, twelve hundred bucks. You know, even for the young kids that are the college kids and the in their twenties. You know, it's easy. It's like, oh yeah, I can afford that. Yeah, you can until you get married and get some kids, and you realize you're not getting a new cell phone every year. It's just not happening. There's priorities. Right.
0: Well, and I think that nowadays that cell phones are like cars now. Right. I mean, you kind of have to have one, especially if you're in a professional of any in, in any kind of business. And so we all have them. And so when we're starting to look at like the fundamental advantage of upgrading every year. It's status is not a, I think it used to be a status thing. And now I think most of us are just like, yeah, when, when my phone breaks or I drop it too many times, I'm going to go replace it. You know, I I don't know that I've changed my phone for capability increase in multiple years. You know, it just better camera more memory but nothing fundamentally shifting i think face id Mm -hmm. was a big thing it makes it so much easier to get into our stuff um and password management such a pain in the butt across the board so that makes my life easier but i but i i am i i think that uh i think in the next couple of years we'll see microsoft make a hard push as people get tired of only having a a kind of a a a duopoly Mm -hmm. out there you know and and we'll have a Third option, which I, I'll be excited. I, I was a Windows user before, and so I, a phone user, and I just I was sad when. It I don't
1: know back. if I've ever heard the word duopoly before, but that was pretty cool. That was pretty cool, Ryan. I like that. I like words. That was a good one. What Was the last app you downloaded?
0: Oh, it was a uh, fitness app. I've gotten kind of. I, I have about a billion fitness apps <laughs> on my phone, but. There, I'm always looking for ones that give me an advantage. And then I have another one that's, uh tracks my moods, you know, like I, I'm an emotional dude. and So I was trying to get data on what days I felt excited and energetic and what days I was kind of down in the dumps and maybe didn't feel like working as much. And was there some kind of pattern I could see in that? And how would that data
1: help me shape and shift my data? How did it get that data? How does it get that data to determine if you're in a good mood or bad mood or whatever?
0: You have to be disciplined and go in and put that in there. I mean, so, you know, if you're having, and so in the mornings, I'm a pretty prolific writer uh, from a journaling perspective. And so I just add that into my mix and then, you know, I try to check in with it three times a day at the same times. So as I I gather, you know, a couple months worth of information, I can look for trends in that day. I'm a data nerd. I mean, everything. So think
1: about that. Think about this unstructured data that is occurring, the structured data that has always been processed, but the unstructured data of podcasts, videos, behavioral data, things that we are doing through AI machine learning, think about how when you won't have to put that in that app. By the things that you're doing in a day, the data that's being collected is going to be able to determine what kind of mood you are by the things you're doing, right? Right. It's like, it's like this new thing that Google came out with, which is just so badass where they replaced GPS. Like they're saying it's VPS. Now it's visual positioning um, uh, service. Now here, now what's crazy. And I had never thought about this is that to Google's eyes, when we're looking at a Google's map, a Google map, we're looking at it from a bird's eye view. And what was interesting is that How many times have you started your map and then you're going, okay, well, which way am I facing right now? Like, so should I turn left, right? Every time, right? (laughs) So their, their fix to that was don't make it global positioning, make it visual positioning meaning from a visual standpoint, I start my maps. Here's what I'm looking at. Right. And it shows to, you can look at the building and go, Oh, okay. That building's behind me. Okay. I'm facing that way. You know, it allows you to be able to see that. And then what's amazing is being able to, you know, on like on Google maps where people don't understand how important it is to have yourself pinned on that map. When you're looking at it from a bird's eye view, when you're looking at it from street level, Those pins on those maps are important because someone using up their phone and looking down the street like augmented reality, those things pop out of those businesses and little reviews are on those little flags that they can click and see. So I can be standing on Michigan Avenue in downtown, uh, the Magnificent Mile in downtown Chicago and literally pull up my phone and hold it up and look down the street through my phone and I'll be able to see all the stores. You know, rather than looking at it from a bird's eye view, it's the VPS, it's where we're going. And I'm so excited about that. And when you talk about your, your fitness app or your mood app, I thought that was pretty cool to think, man, one of these days, he's not going to have to actually take time to put in how he feels, you know? Yeah, That's no, and, and I and I
0: think I mean I think AR, w- w- augmented reality is probably. I'm a huge augmented reality proponent. I, I feel mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. VR is a is a virtual reality is a, is a good tool but because it's so isolating it's going to be hard for it to be um, you're going to have specific use cases for VR where augmented reality, we see it in HUDs on cars today, if they had a good delivery mechanism for it on on glasses, I mean Google's tried it with Google Glass a couple times but Mm -hmm. I I just, there's so because I have a magic leap developer edition that I've played with quite a bit, I think from a producer perspective man, if I could arm my producers with glasses they could put on their face and then they walk down the road and it would have like here's their you know 5500 status here's their number of employees here's what sic code or any ics code they fall into how much better does that it's got to go into the
1: it's got to go into the brain or into the eye man in my opinion it's got to be on a contact or something there's got to be That's got to be something like that because those glasses look goofy. We got to make the glasses look better. There's times that you want to have it in, but you may not want to have your glasses on. Right. But I think if you can put that on a contact and, and it's some kind of little machine or I mean, I think as technology gets better and things, you know, processors get smaller. And I mean, now they're able to spray paint cars, you know, that little have little molecules in them that are like cameras and sensors and stuff. So, I think that stuff is coming and that is a good point about the, what's even cool is on the new Google maps, you can get an augmented creature in this visual positioning system. Like, so like you can pick little creatures like a, a fox or some of these other things. And so you follow this thing. It will literally, you tell it where to go and you follow this thing on the street and stuff. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's where we're going. But here's the most amazing thing that we want to know from you, Ryan. The next thing is that you, you love to win or do you hate to lose?
0: I mean, you know, to me, that's not a binary question. I, I lose way more than I win, but I learn every time I lose, right? So... I'm not driven by the the win or the loss. I, I'm I'm driven by the lesson that I'm going to learn through either one of those. Mm-hmm. Both of them are temporary. If I win, I win today. If I lose, I lose today. It's what lesson did I pick up from either one of those that are going to help me tomorrow uh, the most effectively. And sometimes that comes from wins. And sometimes more often than not, I mean, I've learned more from the, the things I've lost by than, uh, than I won at. You know, winning is often awesome oftentimes accumulation of a multitude of losses. And so that's kind of, I, I Love you know, it. The, in, in the producer ranks, you see that a lot, right? That, that, that's what they're driven by one or the other. And for me, it's just never been um, that straightforward. I mean, I'm a lifetime learner. I've gotten my ass kicked multiple times by technology solutions and then come back and finally triumphed. And it's like, yes, uh, <laughs> that couldn't happen though, without all the
1: losses. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, Let's just say that we summed up who you are today and we said that it has to filter down to one of these two things. Okay. We're going to be very shallow thinking here. Which one would you say has probably led you to where you are today? Skill or luck? Luck. I
0: mean, I, I would, I would have to give it up to luck. I mean, I have a lot of skill, but I was born to two parents that were privileged that height that had education in front of mind that were all about, you know, learning without those individuals in my life, I would probably not have been in the position to maximize the skills that I had. And so if I was to look at the influence, I, I, oftentimes I, I say I cannot separate my progress from my privilege and so I, I really have to give it up to, to circumstance. And then I've been, I I've worked hard to try to maximize that, but without those circumstances, I, I think from my perspective, the, the, I can take risk because I knew that I would have a uh, parental support early on in my life. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is, that's a lucky thing to have. I think there's a lot of individuals out there that don't, cannot take the risk because if they do, and they fail, they're down and out forever. And so if that's a binary question, I would probably give it up to luck. I, I'd like to say skill, but I, I don't I don't believe that internally.
1: That's awesome. That's awesome. I love how you said separate progress from privilege. I thought that was pretty good. Specifically what you were talking about, but I have to say over the last five to 10 years of my life, I've really understood what the word privilege can mean in my life, but also in how it can affect other people. And that's either- Well,
0: the- children, when we, when we, you got kids, Right. right? And so, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, as we're coming up before we have children, it's such a difficult thing to determine. And then you start looking at your kids and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm sending you to a summer camp or something that's a life kind of a broadening experience. And there's a multitude of children that don't have that opportunity. And you're like, "Well, wow, that is a I am now privileging my child in a way that others are not. And obviously there's others that have more privilege than my child. But it starts to come from a conceptual thing to a tactical thing that you're actually enacting, Mm -hmm. I believe. And so it solidifies that because I mean, I didn't always feel that way. It was, you know, it's taken me a long time to get to the point where it's like, oh, yeah, no, this is not me in isolation. This is accumulation of the advantage that I've had over time. And then yes, maximizing that opportunity. But without that opportunity, I would have been screwed.
1: So take us back, man. Let us know how you got here. I don't know you. They don't know you. This is the best way that we can relate. Go back college. Bring us forward how you are now and what you're doing. So I was
0: I was a, I actually never did college. I, I, I was a pretty poor student in high school. I joined the military right out of high school. And uh, did my four years in there. And then it was kind of tech was hitting. It was 98. I, I got some ma- minor certifications, started working at Tropicana Orange Juice in Florida. And from there in 2002, got a job at an insurance agency. The insurance agency needed to understand their data more effectively, especially as we hit 2005, 2006, when the recession was going on. And I just started Getting way deep into analytics and insurance agency analytics on the, both the operations side, on the sales side, and really the, the full gamut of it. We were using Sujita at the time, so I kind of became an expert, mm-hmm. if there is that, at extraction of data, analysis of data, what's important, what's not, how, what are the things that are missing I spent 10 years in that agency and then in 2012 moved to another, and that was about a $14 million agency in revenue moved to another agency. That was about $23 million in revenue. It was there for five years doing deep analytics, working with small teams, doing employee engagement, love getting, love using analytics to drive employee engagement, you know, showing them really. Oh yeah. It's the, if, if, If folks are not doing that, if analytics is some conceptual, like we're going to help our clients understand, I mean, and they haven't used analytics as a communication mechanism to drive corporate goals down to the individual level, they're doing it wrong. I mean, in my opinion. And so mm-hmm. that was something that I was able to really uh, start to conceptualize in my first gig and then come to my second gig and put into play. And I just saw it move mountains. I mean, we took revenue employee to, a, to we just blew it out of the water. We went from like 130 to 190 in five years. It wow. was just, uh, just a big time movement, you know. And, Uh, just all kinds of cool stuff, working with these folks that were really engaged, helping me understand what would move them and, and get them bought into the agency vision. Um, after that, I got offered the I, I, I got offered a position at AssureX Global, which is a conglomerate of large insurance agencies that run from seven million in revenue to one hundred and eighty million in revenue. We that have fifty partners in the states and fifty international partners. I've been there for the last uh, fourteen or fifteen months, doing data aggregation projects, doing uh, analytics, building dashboards, helping increase the data maturity of our firms, and just uh, really being a CIO uh, helper where if they run into a jam and they want a a non-biased opinion on something where I'm not pitching them product they can give me a holler and so um, visit a bunch of agencies some overseas, uh, probably 15 20 agencies that are large here in the states and really increase my operational understanding. I think that one of the key advantages I had as we look, you know, if, looking through that lens of, of luck and skill, I was lucky as hell to land when two agencies had invited me into their operations teams immediately. So I had a seat at the table. I understood what the what the business problems were. I understood what our employees were facing. I understood how to try to actually help them. And, and it was not a nuts and bolts kind of environment that I was in. It was a much more how does technology move the business forward before that was really the the main focus. I mean, this was way back in the day. And so I've been fortunate to be with firms that have
1: always prioritized that. Hello, loyal listeners. Hey, are you a local agent struggling to find markets for your client? Maybe you, maybe not. Look no further than Nation Brokerage Solutions. With over 200 carriers, their comprehensive options give you what you need for your customers' ever-changing needs. You are a uh, podcaster, so you understand this, but uh my podcast stand, my editor will cut this out. My podcast stand just literally I tried to adjust it and it fell off. So give me one second <laughs> why I put this over. No okay. And keep and keep me in mind right where you were at. You were talking about being have a seat at the table and all that's holy shit. I've never had this happen in 400 and some of these. Some bitch won't stay up. Give me a yes, second. I'm special, bro. I know. I'm special. I, I make know. shit happen. Well, that's I'm glad it at. happened with you as another podcast guy. So you understand that shit like this could happen. Okay. All right. So, um, all right. So my editor will cut that out. And so then, and so, so I had no idea for real. Um, so we'll, we'll go ahead and cut back in. If my editor's listening, we'll go ahead and cut now. So I really truly had no idea that, um, that you had, cause I didn't know you, I had no idea you had like this, this huge tech background, like you're doing stuff. You're talking about analytics back in O four, O four and 05, And most people couldn't or couldn't reboot a computer. Right. So, I mean, that, that, that is amazing. And so, and so how did you get into, th- to be a podcaster? So all you loyal listeners, I want you to be sure to check him out. Um, tell us about your podcast. How did, how did that come about? So, you
0: know, we, Oftentimes I preach to my producers the power of LinkedIn, and, and this is a great story. I, I feel like I, in 2016, I'd made a concerted effort in January of that year to write two articles a month on LinkedIn about our industry. Um, in June, I'd written one called, and this is in 2016, this, okay. I would written an article called the InsurTech, uh, the, the The disruption that InsurTech's creating for insurance agencies. And should we be worried? And Mike Furlong, the CEO of Indio read that article and he and he hit me up on a saturday night on linkedin he was like hey i'd like to chat with you and i was actually coding i mean i'm a programmer so i was like messing around with something i was like yeah we can talk tonight if you want he was impressed with that so he called me we talked for a couple hours down the stretch he said hey you want to you want to come and try to help us figure out how do we get this stuff implemented into our agencies more effectively i said i'd love to i'd love to be you know a side voice for you you can bounce stuff off of me the relationship matured they felt it was a good idea that that they said hey would you be interested in doing a podcast? I said, heck yeah, that would be great. They felt it would be a good way for insurance agencies to ensure that the agency knew that Indio had a fundamental understanding of the problems the agency was facing, gotcha. um, which would give them kind of a, a good prospecting tool and also would give a, our channel a great educational um, conduit. And so it that's kind of how it started, man. It started from a freaking LinkedIn article that I wrote out of, and I thought I was so like, over the moon. Here I am sitting in national. I've got the Silicon Valley guy calling me saying, Hey, we're curious about, you know, you, you want to work with in us Indio. We're VC backed and we're a startup. Oh man. I was like, eyed. I, I thought I was the coolest thing ever for a minute. Right. I was like, Oh, I made it. Yes. <laughs> you know, and so it was a, that that was a really fun time and it's been cool to watch them grow and help agencies. Um, but yeah, the podcast is called the digital broker and you know, we just, we deal with very granular operational issues inside insurance agencies. You know, we try to stay with people that are working in agencies every day, account managers. I love account managers. They're the heart and soul of the agency. I think the future is account manager centric. I think that that's where, agencies are going to be as they find scalable sales solutions that reduce the the requirement of producers on agencies. And so I, I think that uh, it's- it's. So let's talk about that. Furious. Let's talk
1: about that. So you're talking about, like before, it's kind of along the same line where you're talking about the revenue per um, employee of 130,000 up to 190,000. Just so your loyal listeners can get a glimpse of that, I believe according to best practices of, a, of an agency up to two and a half million. Okay. Let's just say the majority of them. I believe it's around 111 to 115,000 per employee. And you were saying you were around 130, and went to 190, whatever, not exact numbers, but you went germ- dramatically up. Or maybe that was exactly because you're a dad and nerd and no, but the, 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 how did you do that? What was that about? You're talking about analytics. One of the things, real quick, Ryan, before I say this, is, is I want you to know where I'm coming from. I think a lot of us agents My buddy Wes Anderson says it all the time. We like to make decisions based on the way that we think and we feel. He said, but Jason, I'm a data guy and I make decisions based on what the data says. You're talking about having analytics of agency operations to make this stuff happen. I'm curious to know where you start and how that worked.
0: So, you know, I, I, I roll into this agency in Nashville, I get hired on because they'd seen some of the dashboards I'd put together and they had kind of uh, had an understanding of where I was analytically and they wanted to up their game. So I, I start the job and the CEO comes up and he says, you know, we are not efficient. We don't use technology well at all. And I'm like, well, how, how, okay. And he says, your job is to make that better. And I'm like, well, how do you determine that you're not efficient today? And he's like, I just feel like we aren't. And I'm like, well, that doesn't work because if if I do 50 things and you still don't feel like we are, then then I've failed, but we're not using any real metric, right? Mm-hmm. right? And so what you have to do is, you, I mean, I came in with a five-year strategy to that place, two years of data management, data correctness, you know, you know, getting everybody calling it the same thing. What are the key elements that we need so we could get a baseline of where we stood today? Not good or bad. Just a baseline mm-hmm. like and, and what we found was each department would have a different data fingerprint, your personal lines, core personal lines that's dealing with tons of volume. Their book looks substantially different than, you know, a risk management account manager that's dealing with seven accounts that's pushing, you know, a significant amount of right. revenue. And what, and what their actions during the day and the things they had to do would be different. And so what, what we did was we just took an, we took a baseline. How many minutes were they on the phone? How many touches did they do in the CRM? How many touches did they do in Sajita? You know, what kind of activities were they doing? I mean, anything that we could quantify, we did not as a judgment. That was always the push to the, the, the guys this is not I'm not trying to judge you on anything I'm just trying to get our current status today so as we bring in technology we should see one of those metrics increase or decrease if if you're spending 500 minutes on the phone a month and I bring in some kind of IVR like an automated voice system to help route calls more effectively I should see that time that you're on the phone right. drop. Right. I, you should spend less time on the phone, or you should be spending more time talking to more clients and less time on that intro. Right. right? So, something you're going to find some metric that quantifies the, the impact of that. And then as you bring solution in, you say, okay, I'm going to bring this solution in. We're going to look for this result. We're going to give it X amount of time and we're going to determine if we see that result or not by watching this metric if we see it we know it succeeded if we don't we know it failed at that point and now you're strategic right right? because oftentimes inside an agency the employees feel like god they're making changes every 30 Mm -hmm. days and without the metrics without the ability to say hey steve hey betty This is what we're looking for over seven months. If we don't see it, we're going to roll it back. And, you know, you're going to start helping your change management, your change inversion will decrease, and your buy-in from the staff from a strategic standpoint of, of thinking you know what you're doing is going to increase. And so that's the first step is what does it look like today? What are you doing today? Once you get that, now as you bring solution in, you kind of track how it's been evolving and changing. And that's exactly wow, what we did.
1: Great stuff. I mean, that wasn't a 50,000 foot view that wasn't in the dirt, but that was a good 20, 25,000 foot view that that gave you that high level stuff, but also gave us some practical advice. I really like that, dude. I mean, I totally was visualizing that whole thing with you. Um, one of the things that, um, and I really was not intending uh, loyal listeners to talk about this, but one of the things that uh, I have um, bought, uh, invested in some software, it's called Symphony. And what it does is it actually is a software program and I don't know of anything else like it in the industry and we use it. And that's why I told the guy, I was like, I want to buy into this because uh, he knows what he has, but I don't think he realizes what he has. And um, his name is Tom Baker. And what this thing does is he's created a program that allows you to track KPIs, which are key performance indicators. And it doesn't know so much just tell you what the employee has to do. But as you're saying, it starts to try and drive baselines. It it starts to say, you know, whether we're up or we're down, we've got to determine some baseline so that we can determine if we're up or down, right? And if we're, what we're going to do, and then it allows you to track that per revenue. So different KPIs trigger certain amounts of revenue and those certain amounts of revenue can hit employee goals. And then that thing has a calculation of how it does a revenue share, which is tied in with the job descriptions, which turns into an organic agency measurement because every time you sell an auto or home or one of these KPIs does it, it fluctuates and it gives you a dashboard. I know that sounds like a lot, but it gives you a dashboard to be able to understand all this stuff. And when I saw this guy created this, I was like, uh, holy cow. He was like, yeah, the only other people that use it is, is in the insurance industry is State Farm. They call it a talent management system. And he was like, so I knew about it and I understood it. So I went and built it. And I was like, holy crap. And it's called symphony. And the reason why Ryan, he named it symphony was he said that a composer comp- creates no music. It's the symphony that creates the music, but he has to compose it. He or she has to compose it. And that's how he sees the agency Owner or agency manager or whoever's in that position to drive that growth and th- those sales strategies. And I like what you said. It also goes back to what you say, cu- or um, you said customer service. You didn't say customer service focused, but agency account centric. The what account did you say manager. About, right? The account manager centric. Yeah. So, what do you mean about
0: that? Why do you feel that way? Well, I mean, uh, first, first one thing. Let let let, let me clarify what i mean because I think. A lot of times we get lost in words. Dashboards, when people hear dashboards, everybody that visualizes that visualizes something else. When I say dashboard, what I mean is have you, do you have a mechanism in your shop to show each employee on a daily basis what success looks like? That to me is a good dashboard, right? So I just, Mm -hmm. I want to make sure that. that, I like that. I I like that. That's true. Heck yeah, help your, if if you give your employees a speed limit, the road, the signs, they will, dr- the vast majority of them will drive forward towards excellence. And the ones that don't are easy to be seen and get out of there with real data now and say, yep. hey, they weren't hitting it. And so dashboard is a word that drives me crazy just because of the nebulousness of that. So yes.
1: And it can be very much ours does give them that they give them literally a score. It's gamification. It it lets them know like where they're at every day of every second. And you're, I love your analogy. I'm going to tell that to Tom, what you just said. Um, He says something similar, but you said it so much better. If you give them the road, you give them the signs, you know, you tell them where you're going and what success looks like. Yeah. It's amazing. The speeds that they will go. Um, That you don't think they will. That's good stuff, Ryan. That's good.
0: And so uh, account manager. So, okay, what I think independents are going to hit and we see them hitting it now is perpetuation issues. Perpetuation has typically been driven by I'm going to find a producer that's going to sell enough insurance that's going to be able to buy a current owners out over time. And we've seen midsize agencies. So in my mind, a midsize agency is a 10 million to 20 million revenue firm that has entrenched ownership that's bringing in producers that are buying down, that, that are buying that, that from them. Um, but it's getting harder and harder to find that production talent, especially as we see these platforms come up that are hyper niched out, hyper focused on select segments of business that we may have picked up before, but now they have better avenues. Uh, independents are going to have to figure out producerless ways to sell business to some extent. And to service that and to catch those leads and to turn those into sales, I believe that's going to be account manager. So today where you have producers running the roost in most agencies, I think that 10 years from now, almost all sales are done digitally. You have producers parachuting into large complex accounts. AEs are a much larger part of the picture, but account managers are really holding the bag. And so, you know, today we're not in all agencies, but in some agencies, there's a, there's a strong class division between how we treat producers and how we treat account managers. But that's because producers drive revenue and, it's 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 this weird catch 22 if i'm a 65 year old owner of an insurance agency and i want to sell my agency internally I, it is my best interest to get a producer, get that person selling business. I care about that person's success. The account managers is an accoutrement that that I don't really, I care about, but they're not the main course.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: down the stretch, as I have platforms, because I can't find these diamonds in the rough that are producers that are selling this stuff, and I'm getting my butt kicked by Root or whoever's out there, Bunker, one of the millions that are, that are hyper-niched, I've got to figure out a way to scale my sales ability. I mean, you got a, what, a 33 to 40% success ratio on producer validation over t- 24 months. It's just not fast enough. I mean, and as we go faster, mm-hmm. those progressive agencies are seeing that now. They're putting out micro products, they're, and, and that's just cutting their teeth as we get to more complex risks. So when I talk about account manager-centric agencies, it's one that have, have no class difference where account managers don't feel like producers uh, you know they can treat them however they want that their value and a producer's value is commiserate Uh, and i think an agency really has to to struggle to do that because typically owners are producers that have come from the producer ranks and so it's it's just an interesting dynamic that i see out there but those agencies that survive and thrive in the future will be those that celebrate and embrace that change
1: i think I love that dude. That was great. I've never we've never discussed that on the podcast. What a great way to look at it. Um at the end you said something very powerful too about how the producers Um, used to be, agency owners used to be producers. So they kind of, you know, they liked to that type of person. It made me immediately think, because I'm a political guy, um, that how it's really hard to change laws when a lot of the people in Congress were once lawyers. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's really, really tough to to battle on that ground because they- they Why can't
0: I vote for my- Phone. (laughs) I can do everything from my phone. Every I can buy. I can do anything from my phone. Why? If we could vote from our phone, we could get rid of all politicians. There could be a one thing that comes out and says, "Who do you want for president?" Everybody pick one of these five. Twenty minutes later, we'd have a new president. You could get rid of all of Congress. I mean, there are so many. And but. Just like you said, because we have those people in office, we they're not going to get rid of themselves. The they're first person that rid- runs on a pro phone platform that's all about getting everybody to vote in this country, i will I would absolutely back that individual Ryan, because it would
1: do you think that we could do it securely? Do you really yes. think that you think we could? I mean hell yeah I think
0: absolutely we could. I think that when you look at the fear that's generated by by I mean there's always going to be risk. Mm-hmm. There's always going to be challenges. But I mean this stuff is coming, right? I mean we have self-driving cars it's today. Be. We very soon we're going to have automated McDonald's where Mm. you have very few humans in the mix. Right. And so could hackers get in there and put some arsenic in your mustard? Yeah, but if I can get it for 50 cents cheaper, I'm still going to that McDonald's.
1: (laughs) Right. I but mean, this, that, is that's the presidency. The this is the presidency though, Ryan, Ryan, I hope you're right. I just like this. Uh, what, what normal people would say to you right now? Like, Oh, that's it's too access- insecure. The, the problem
0: is it's access. It's, a- I mean, right now I truly believe that, that we, that is, The We don't do it as a country because it would give the disadvantaged a uh, disproportional voice within the government. Um, If everybody could vote instantly, and yes, we would have some security problems. The first time an automated vehicle runs into a a nursery and kills 15 kids, we're going to have a setback. And we will have setbacks over time but we will continue to progress forward. It just depends on how much the Luddites fight and how much they grab onto and, and try to have fear mongering, you know? But yeah. I just, it, it that's one of those things that I get passionate about and my friends get sick of me talking about it because politics just drive me insane. And I just think we could all have a, you want to build this road? Yes. And then it's done, you
1: know? Yeah, you're, yes, yes, yes. You could simplify it uh, majorly there. Oh gosh, You you said something. Ah, I lost it. You say so many great things. I try to grab onto them. <laughs> but no, no, no. I love it though. It's, uh, it's really, really cool to, to kind of think about us doing that. And when you really think about it, like, so, okay. So if we all vote from our phone, and they're saying somehow that those things could get manipulated. So could the fact that we fill out these pieces of paper and we put them in this box, right? That we the wa- hanging chests. The, the hanging uh- chats, right? And then, and then here's what I think. Okay, so maybe some other person is not able, or a foreign government is not able to actually change maybe maybe the the actual vote itself, but they can make enough propaganda. Right to totally sway the minds of the people. So I think what you're saying is correct. And not only would we have, I think we had less than 100 million vote or maybe 50 million vote. I can't remember how many total votes we had during the presidential election. But if you make it more accessible, you're going to almost double that amount, which is actually going to probably get a more true, realistic mix of what the vote should be from those who just don't vote because they know that it's not going to make a difference or think that at least
0: abs I mean and if it was if it was that easy right I mean Uber Eats is successful not because it does anything new right I mean but what it does is make the, make life convenient. convenient. I mean, dude, I spend ridiculous amounts of money on Uber Eats because it's so easy. I mean, I can push a button, 30 minutes later, I've got whatever the hell I want to show up at my door. It's terrible, mm-hmm. but it's awesome.
1: It is, it is. And you know, and sometimes we just don't realize that that's, that's, we do realize this. This is how we are, right? We always take the avenue of least resistance and it's a form of that. And technology allows us to just just multiply that. I mean, and just to say that, you know, everything is becoming it, you know, like I'm waiting for, I mean, okay. For instance, uh, what was it that I was on? I'm waiting for Starbucks. I, when I get to, okay, I order my Starbucks. When I order it, I order it on my app. And by the time I get to the store, like it's to the point now where I used to just walk up and get my Starbucks. But now here we are a year later, everybody's using it And now you've got this group of like 5, 10, 15 people that are sitting there waiting. And so now we all know that like, okay, you just can't go in three to five minutes. You need to order it and wait 10 minutes. And I'm thinking to myself, anytime they're going to come up with that thing that says, pay a dollar extra and you'll be moved to the top, you know, because it's getting to that point to where the convenience of having the mobile app is not enough to the fact that we want the convenience of being in the front of the line when we use the mobile app.
0: I mean, think about that. It's time. It's time. time, Anything that say like, okay. I mean, for me, one of my, I guess, privileged things that I feel like I always feel like, Oh yeah, this is awesome. I get my laundry done. Right. So I have an app on my phone. I said, I got three bags of laundry. They pick it up that day. The next day I get all my laundry back in bags. It's all folded, clean, done. You know, it's awesome. Yes. it just makes it such a win, and so it's it, if if a service is saving time for people, that is that it, they they're winning right mm-hmm. now. I mean, it's about simplicity and time. I think one of the things that I that I like to to entertain right is when you start combining some of this stuff. I believe that each individual in the future has a personalized virtual coach right? So you got Betty sitting in a seat typing, she's doing pretty good. And, you know, Cortana or Siri comes up and says, Hey, Betty, it sounds like, you know, you've processed 12% less today than yesterday. How are you feeling? You know, do you want to talk to, so is there, is there a problem that you need to address? Do you need some time off? You know, is something weighing on you today or you just have an additional social day? And I mean, when you talk about that symphony product, I think that that's kind of, trending in that area, right? If you could start taking behaviors, the ben- the baselines, it feed that into a system, and each and each person can get their own coaching to get better to, to for them it might be an extra day incentive or you know more money or whatever drives them. But I, I believe that ultimately we'll have a little voice at our computer helping us do the best work we can. And that'll that's going to offload a lot of manager work, right? That that's where you're going to see managers start to be far and fewer between because a lot of the stuff that they're learning today, with all the sentiment analysis that they're—that's not the end game. The end game is to be able to deliver true value in in that kind of capacity. And so, though that—that's my head is always spiraling in, in that area. Like that—that'll be a, a scary but cool time. Mm-hmm.
1: It will know? be, and that's where I think we're really going to start to pick up because I think people say, "Well, we already have so much data. There's so much we're collecting." And and really, I don't think people put this together that there's there's uh, we've talked about it before, but structured data and unstructured data, you know, and that structured data being a cell phone or a number, right. That's in our system, but it's, but the unstructured data of the phone calls, the recorded phone calls and all of the data, you know, I challenged my team on this one time and I sat down and there was a conversation that one of my producers had, and he had a great conversation and I could hear him for like 10 minutes. And at one of our team meetings, I made him us listen to that. And it, and it got us uh, the way that that client made. They feel the way they expect things. Well, I wanted the other producers to realize some of the replies and some of the feedback of what that producer heard and the way they replied, and was some of the things that we could correct, do better. And I had never really thought of it until in the last year or two that that is data that's unstructured, and the machines today. Are able to to look at it like everybody always says like yeah everybody goes to google to find out like something and information and google just loves it because the more times people post and the more times that there's more data for them to be able to, to to use but i don't think that we realize that they are as we do know that they're the second largest search engine with youtube and all this video that's going on there essentially is unstructured data that when you can teach machines like they are To read it and actually make that structured data, which becomes behavioral data. Now we're going like we're going places that we never thought that we were going. Am I right, Ryan? Absolutely. And
0: you, and you just saw it with YouTube release their new content restrictions. They don't have, I mean, they have some humans looking at that stuff, but way more. They have now have enough data that they've trained the algorithms and trained the machines on to be able to go find things that are offensive, that are, that are bigoted, whatever falls into their new Mm -hmm. community guidelines. Right. And the only, they couldn't have done that 10 years ago because they didn't have the speed of technology, the ability to consume the information, and then the, the, the actual data itself. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because video and audio are one of those things that are going to keep giving. As we get better at analyzing that stuff, as we get better at drawing nuance out of it, you know, if, if a computer looks at a video in 2015, what it learns is much different than what it learns when it looks at that same video mm-hmm. in 2020. Right, because of the advancements that it has had, it can still use that video though to increase its ability. So, yeah, they have so much freaking oh. data under their fingertips. I mean, and that's, oh, that's the money. so
1: much. I mean, I don't know if they can make machines right now fast enough to go through all the data that they have from years past. And I can't even remember how many hundreds of thousands of hours every minute goes gets uploaded in video and hell that was like five years ago i can only imagine how much does now but yeah it's it's an amazing world now we're getting ready to throw 5g up in this biatch i mean it's about ready to get crazy up in here and and you know i was talking with daniel burris i don't know if you know him daniel burris is uh he is a, a futurist a uh, fascinating guy i've done a couple of podcasts with him and he, he's like a technology advisor to the joint chiefs of staff of the United States uh, uh, government. I mean, this dude is like way up there. <laughs> and um, some of the things that he talks about as to where we're going, one of the things that he said, which I thought was great, is I said, I said, I said to him, I said, Dan, what is the future? Like, what, is, what should we be looking for? Which was amazing because he, he really doesn't partake too much in the insurance industry. And he says, the future is relationships. And I think at that time we didn't, I I was like, oh, that's great. Right. And we keep thinking like meeting people, shaking people's hands, you know, Hey, you help me, but you know, beautiful love thing. But I don't think that we realize that that unstructured data is what is going to be able to make us or help us enhance those, those relationships that are just going to take us to new heights and new levels that we've, that we've, we can't even contemplate. Yeah. And, and I think that that's some. Yeah, no,
0: I totally agree. I mean, I think that agencies that figure out how to leverage data to make their customers feel that they know them better right whatever mechanism that is are agencies that are probably failing a lot they're throwing a lot of money after this they're not seeing a hard return today but the framework i mean that's why we're you know some of the tools that we're seeing coming out of the larger brokers are not tools that they started with today it's tools that they started with 10 years ago dropped a ton of money on and, you know, it's like, but they're able to now mm-hmm. bring something to the consumer that the consumer's like, wow, you really understand my business, my needs, why I need that. You can explain it to me. So when I walk away as a consumer, I feel more confident in the decision because it's a customized plan. I mean, we see it in precision medicine, we see it all over the place. But I think that that is absolutely correct. It's helping. I think technology in in, in an agency specifically should be able to, I'm a person looking for expertise and I need to get to an expert. How, How do I use technology to shorten that time? And how do I use technology to customize that experience for that individual? Be that through benchmarking. If I'm a trucking consumer that needs to understand my risk, the agent that makes that trucking consumer understand why they're buying what they're buying the best is going to win the business. Yep. And that and that all comes from the utilization of leveraging of data.
1: You're dang right. How can people find out about you, Ryan? Where 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 do they find your podcast? Digi-
0: just Google digital broker and you'll see it. You can always hit me up on LinkedIn. I love to collaborate. I don't know much. I, you know, everybody knows something about something and I can learn from anybody. So uh, you just type my name into LinkedIn, send me a little message and we can connect. And I guarantee I'll learn something from you and maybe you'll learn a little something from me, but we can get better together. I always, I, I love that concept.
1: All right, man. Hey, Ryan, I do appreciate this. And, uh, uh, to all your listeners, I think that your listeners are lucky, man, because, uh, you, you've got a great, Great voice for the radio. People have probably told you that before, but I love your excitement. You and I have a lot of excitement. There's about three or four things here that I wanted to talk about, special with the openness of data and um, the movement of indie tech that is, going, that is occurring and going to only really occur more and more about putting pressure on companies to open up the data and let us have it. Uh, we're tired of them selling it to third-party companies, but won't give us our own. Um, and I think a lot of this has to do. There's a lot of stir right now in the industry on the fact that Indio was purchased by uh, Applied, and um, from uh, I've read one of the contracts that they're that they're wanting to push to Applied is wanting to push to the agent owners about you know so looking at ways some of that stuff is. Uh, they're saying that they are starting to share that data. I think a lot of the contracts in the past have always been, you can't share consumer data, you can't do this, can't do this. But I think now, I think that there's things starting to be slid into contracts that I don't think people realize. I think it's even one of those things that Steve Anderson was talking about in his latest tech tip. What I want to do is I want to find out more about this. I want to get my hands around this. And then Ryan, I want to come back in and I want to talk to you because yes, it might be controversial as to whether it's good for agents or not, but I think it's important that we have a discussion about it from people who may know about this or have a very good opinion and advice about it to where we then can make a good sound decision on what's really happening in the industry. I invite, would you come back then? I'll be with you anytime. All right, Doug. I'm all about it. All right, man. That's what we're going to do. But in the meantime, thanks, Ryan, very much. I appreciate you coming on. Find him on LinkedIn, the digital podcast. Isn't that it? The digital broker. The the digital broker. The digital broker. I I apologize. It's just, just the way it is. But anyways, hey, I do greatly appreciate you as a loyal listener. I do appreciate you. I do what I do for you. And if you tell me your thoughts and you tell me your ideas, I'm going to tell the world what you have to say. This has been Agents Influence Podcast, Conversations with Jason Cass. Today, we had Mr. Ryan Deeds on, who is the Digital Broker Podcast. Go check him out. See ya. Hey, agents, listen to this. Listen to this. What are we terrible at? Think of it. Think of it.